Start date 10.29.2020. It's Halloween. Welcome to Star Trek Discovery Pod, a kind of smart, kind of funny podcast about new Star Trek and beyond. I'm your reluctant captain, Mike Garcia. With me on the view screen, we have Mariah Gossett and Grant Davis. Tonight, we're streaming the pod live on YouTube. Uh, Twitch, Facebook, and Twitter to review and break down Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 3, People of Earth. Before we do that, Mariah, well, before you let everyone know how to support this podcast, can you let us know what your costume is? And then we'll go around the room. And Clyde should be here soon. I'm not sure if he's going to have a costume or not, but we'll see. We will see (laughs) if he is up to par with all the amazing costumes on this screen. Uh, (laughs) I decided to dress up as a Trill since we get introduced to our first Trill-ish character. Trill-ish, yeah. Yeah, we we get some backstory of the Trills. So I'm really excited that we get to experience more about these particular characters. But if you are listening to this pod or watching it live on YouTube, the other thing you can do to help support the show is subscribe to the podcast. So you can do that on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, You can find links to all of that at StarTrekPod.co. I guess I should introduce what I'm wearing as well. Yeah. Um, I have a yellow sweater of a, of a command leader of a Starfleet ship, I guess. I don't know. If I'm you kind to of look like if, if Kirk went on like a very interesting beach vacation. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm beachside Kirk. Yeah. I guess. Um, yeah. Cause I just bleached my hair right before I came over here. And uh, so it's orange. I don't know. What's going very on. orange. <laughs> you bleached it for another costume tomorrow, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so this yeah. is, this was an intermediary before I have the costume that I'm doing with my girls. Show us your Delta. Oh, uh, there it is. There it is. I'm a nip. Nice. So, uh, hey, I also want to remind you guys um, very professionally uh, that you can help support this podcast over at patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. That's the place you can go to easily make a per episode pledge. You give us whatever you're comfortable giving us. But uh, we do have a special rewards package at the $2 level an episode. If you give us two bucks an episode in exchange, you can join us on our exclusive Slack channel where we talk all things Trek. We would love to have you guys come by and join us. We have a great gang of, of lovable, friendly, inclusive Trekkies, and you can be part of the crew. We do bonus exclusive content for you occasionally where we will review some of the original movies and some of the J.J. Abrams movies. We've been doing uh, some special Badass Women of Trek series and Seven of Nine series, doing deep dives into some other little back episodes and just some uh, other little fun exclusive chat things. Like we uh, we did a quiz last week where we found out which of the Star Trek Discovery crew we were, and I hated my results. <laughs> but you have to be a subscriber to our Patreon to know what they are. I'm not going to tell you. I just, I retook the quiz, so I got someone else. <laughs> I changed my answers a bit. Did you get the triple? Yeah, tribble. I ended up with a triple, and I was like, I'm perfect. Now. That's all I need. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just, a, I'm furball, and I multiply, and I'm annoying. Um, once again, that's <laughs> patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. We appreciate all of your support. Hey, and since Clyde isn't here yet, but we have been told he is on his way, I want to remind everyone to take part in the live chat. If you're watching us live on YouTube or wherever, 
just type the word pod in all caps if you want us to check out your comment and maybe mention it on the pod later. And if you haven't guessed, I don't know I'm, how you couldn't know. I'm dressed as <laughs> D, it, it's all DIY. Oh, I, really? I, it's all DIY. This is not from a store. I am dressed as Counselor Deanna Troy. Because we all need a therapist. From TNG, because we all need a therapist. After looking at you. I think I need a therapist. <laughs> and I have my Delta. <laughs> right here. On what? On my purple uniform. <laughs> what is that purple uniform, please? Can you pan out or oh it's a bag? You're wearing a bag <laughs> around your neck. <laughs> a reasonable shopping bag. You know, reasonable it's... shopping bag from my wife's OBGYN. <laughs> It is the ultimate in reduce, reuse, recycle, which I feel like is in canon with Trek. So That's exactly. Perfect. Okay, real quick, before we dive into People of Earth, I want to take a sec to celebrate the season four renewal Woo-woo. of Star Trek Discovery. We did it. We it did it. Up. We did it. We did this for you guys. We said, you know what? Let's have another season of this. We decreed. Um, I feel like I knew this a while ago because there was like pictures. I follow a lot of uh, Twitter accounts of like filming in Toronto. And once Toronto was like, let's start filming again. There was already a sign on like one of the lots that was like Star Trek Discovery this way. <laughs> like, <laughs> Did I miss a memo? Clyde. Oh, dear. <laughs> Clyde, how do you like our Halloween costumes? I think I missed the memo. Um, Mariah's <laughs> is right? oddly episode appropriate. Mm-hmm. I try. She's alien nation. You could tell. Yes. Contrary to popular belief, everyone was not fired. Kurtzman is not out the door and season four is coming. So uh, very exciting. And uh, I'm glad to see it. And I'm glad they're already working on it. I know the writers are almost done i think with the whole season and production has started most of the actors have been back and forth to toronto a few times and so far everyone seems safe so stay safe and we'll see what happens yes yes uh clyde you just joined us we're talking about the season four renewal for discovery uh because we didn't get a chance to mention the renewal on the pod when the news came down last week but yeah cbs has renewed the show for a fourth season when it will premiere is anyone's guess so please don't waste your time speculating. Let's just enjoy the fact that that it's coming sooner. I was going to say sooner than later, but it's coming, guys. <laughs> it now, three it's, episodes into this season, yeah, I'm excited about season four. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. same, same. Yeah, thank you, Young Sheldon, or whoever runs CBS. <laughs> I appreciate. it. Thank you very much. I had a quick question for Mariah. Is Mm -hmm. that a gigantic glass of whiskey? That I'm drinking? Yeah. No, it's cider. (laughs) It's like, holy hell, that's a lot of whiskey. Are you drinking Romulan whiskey? It's synthanol. So don't worry about it. (laughs) Synthanol. All right. Let's do what we're here to do. Let's talk Discovery Season 3, Episode 3, People of Earth. This episode was written by Bo Young Kim and Erica Lepolt, and it was directed by the man, the beard, the homie. Hot Frakes. Jonathan Frakes. But we, uh, what is it? Oh, it's the one where Discovery meets up with Burnham in the future, right? Yes, and we see that Earth has 
a more isolationist bent than the Earth from the 23rd century. Um, so let's get into it. This is Star Trek Discovery Pod. We don't give you hot takes. We give you hot freaks. Hot freaks! He's in the studio tonight, folks, so we get a full mm. hot freak. My kids are not just on the other nope. side of this wall. <laughs> I apologize to your ears, but I went for it there. Gotta I appreciate you it. backing away from the mic, though. Yeah, um, this time I remembered. Oh, you don't do that. Jeez. All right. Um, who wants to give me their hot break first? I can go for it. I uh, really enjoyed this episode. It really felt almost like an original series episode in mm. that we have, you know, a mission where our crew is going to a possibly hostile planet that we don't know much about anymore. Seemingly, we have an idea of what we're going to encounter as the audience. We think we know what it's going to be. But um, instead, we get to see Saru be an alien who brokers a peace treaty between humans who can't figure this shit out. And so I really appreciated both the back references to that and then also you know, the sort of fresh take and the idea that humans aren't the ultimate like peacekeepers of the galaxy. So I enjoyed that. Um, I also really liked Giorgio being like mama Giorgio when books beams over and is essentially giving him like the rundown of you're dating my daughter sort of situation <laughs> and like the hard line of questioning. And yeah, I mean, Ultimately, I got really excited when the crew is all back together. I'm interested to see this newer Michael that's maybe a little more loosey-goosey. Um, and the the interaction between her and Book, like the sexual tension is palpable. And I'm ready. It's high. I'm Ooh. so ready for it. And have, Yeah, like I said in our discussion, <laughs> like I said in our discussion of the premiere, I want to see that. We want to we give the people what they want. I mean, we also already got him shirtless again. They know what we want. Um, <laughs> that uniform was so tight. So tight. And thirsty people on the pod today. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I also really liked the feeling, like how familiar they are with each other at this point. Like when they're on his ship and they're doing the whole rundown of like, it almost felt like a oceans eight you know they're like going over all of the bad stuff they'd done in the past trying to figure out the best way to manipulate their their current situation so um overall i really enjoyed this episode there were some cheese ball moments there were some moments i felt like saru and michael were getting married and they were exchanging vows but i was here for it so <laughs> um i'll go next i was a, a little mixed on this one but overall overall it won me over with its star trekkiness like in the middle of dealing with the fact that earth in the far future is now this like extremely isolate isolationist planet that is unfriendly to weary travelers like our discovery crew, Saru and the crew do so much good with some old fashioned Federation diplomacy and, and tolerance by conveying those Starfleet values. Justice, tolerance, friendship, humility, compassion, intelligence. These are things that can change the universe for the better. And I appreciated that being put into play to kind of save the day in this episode. That message really resonated well for me in this episode, even though this episode was a little cheesy here and there. But I'm actually not minding the cheese at all this season. I'm I'm here for the cheese. It feels like disco is kind of finally breaking out of that pretense of being a prestige drama like the past few seasons it's like 
we're kind of Game of Thrones. We're also kind of Breaking Bad, but no, Star Trek. And it feels like this season they're leaning more into the the geekiness of a sci-fi show, and that's really working for me. I found that the the theme, like a, a negative, was the theme of Burnham's disconnection from the crew rang a little false or hollow for me. Like I like some of that scene with Tilly, especially the uh, the comment about the hair and all that, but it felt like it was forced in that scene. Like much of much of that felt felt forced. Like you could feel the writing. And I get that Burnham has been like away from disco for a year or so. And she's gone through a lot of shit and she's changed apparently to survive in this new future. But that wasn't conveyed in a really believable, elegant way. It felt pretty forced in this episode. Um, it felt like the that's going to come into play with the plot and the character is following the plot or the plot's dictating the character. It didn't feel natural. Um, I loved Seeing, seeing Saru be captain. He's finally captain. I think he was the MVP of this episode. Great job, Doug Jones. I loved meeting Adira, the, mm -hmm. the tween menace, as Stamets referred to them. And a warm welcome to Blue Del Barrio, our newest Star Trek cast member. I think they did a great job in this ep. I found Adira lovable and kind and smart, and I want to know more. Um, overall, enjoyed it. Uh, Clyde, do you want to go next? You want me to go next? You're muted, buddy. I'll go next then. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Grant. Um, I was going to jump in there, but you, you got it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have that. Have that. I like this episode a lot. Um, I think Mariah, I don't know that I thought it was a lot like the, the original series, but it did feel like it was familiar in terms of the pacing. Um, it felt more episodic than maybe any other episode in discovery. Like we had a conflict, they solved it in a very Starfleet way. Um, I know that previously I've said, I don't know about Saru as captain, um, but I, I liked it. Like I liked him being captain and I felt if, if nothing else, it's because, and we've said this before, Burnham's going to have more fun and be more impactful, not sitting in that chair. Um, and that was really clear. And I, I love the way that we got to see inside her psyche a bit through the use of Giorgio and how Giorgio was able to help us understand that it's been a year. She's gotten a little taste of that freedom, that not playing by the book. And for Burnham, who was raised a Vulcan, even though she's a human, she's always played by the book, always done exactly what you think she should do. Now she's really getting played by the book. Uh, look, I, I see what you did there. Um, <laughs> but now she's, she spent the last year kind of freewheeling and dealing, you know? And so that can be really interesting. She's learning more about herself She's 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 trying to figure that out. So I'm I'm excited of what that looks like. The the whole idea about them being, you know, do you remember this? Like, you know, th this episode that we had, or you know, this thing that we did, and being able to do all these things, I think is going to be a really interesting piece of the show. 
And so um, it actually made me really curious. I don't know if there was one thing that really jumped out at me. It was like, oh, that was amazing. Did you see that? Can you believe it? But overall, the tone of the show is like, yeah, this feels a little like home. Mm. Um, and so it, I thought that was that was pretty interesting. I feel like everybody had work to do. And I agree with you, Mike. Adira was was uh, it was a breath of fresh air and the fir- and, and the fact that I, I feel like st- what is Star Trek without a young genius right like there's always there's always a young genius somewhere and now we have it and so I thought that that was nice I like to see you know what they're gonna add and I I think I think you got to have a trill. Like that's a that's an amazing piece of wisdom in a really immature package. So I love it. I think um I thought this was a good episode. Awesome. Oh man. Um well, I'll, I'll be the one who uh gets really negative then. <laughs> Bringing up the rear here. Bring it. I thought this one was so hokey and cheesy and if this is the direction of the rest of Trek, I'm out. I signed up for the Game of Thrones Breaking Bad shit, Mike. I don't know if I want this. Uh, um, you know what? I thought it was cool to uh, see where Earth was at and see the relationship that it's become this really isolationist planet, but it is self-sufficient in this regard. Um, it kind of gave me some vibes of this. Uh, this this whole future society gave me real strong vibes of... Um, What's that uh, book called? The Dark Forest, part of that uh, Three Body Problem trilogy, mm-hmm. where they're talking about in space, everyone is silent because everyone knows that everyone else could attack them. So everyone just hides on their own planet and tries to make themselves as quiet as possible. That's why space is silent, because you make yourself known, other people are going to take you out before you could potentially take them out. It's very a very terrifying war reality is what space is and this is what that uh that sci-fi book which i think just got picked up and is being um made by benioff and weiss uh, <laughs> as their new their new show so uh game of thrones um but i like seeing that this is the direction they took earth and that they're probably going to um work to you know pull them back from that and, and reignite starfleet um the 16 year old Vunderkind i thought was cool joining the cast i like that a lot um, the chemistry between Burnham and book is fantastic. And every time they're relating with each other, I just can't get enough of those scenes. That said, there were problems. I thought this, there was a lot of hokey cheesiness going on. The whole battle with when being, being quickly resolved with this, Hey, you two just need to sit down and have a good chat guys. This is a feel good moment. I, I thought how that all played out, it it just kind of undercut all of the all of the tension and all of the drama and then became it became like an ABC or Hallmark kind of family moment that I wasn't feeling. And then they they upped the ante because Stamets Danny Tanner strolls in to I don't know what that music was on in the background, but it's like, do, 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 do. Hey, DJ, come sit down on the, the bed. Let's have a chat about you acting up and putting this tracking device on our ship. We can't have that, DJ. Oh, I'm sorry, Dad. Full house moment or whatever. We just got to open communicate again. Followed by all of the other people being on the earth by the tree. 
all the shots of them just like, ah, you know what? Everything worked out and it's great. And then they do this zoom out moment. <laughs> Everywhere <laughs> you look. I know. I was was like, it just because it was San Francisco that it felt like? <laughs> you lost out there and you're all alone. There was, oh man, can I find out what it was? Um, there was this part of the episode where they, oh, the um, leave Earth. You're not welcome here is what, uh, when they talk to Earth. And how that was followed by this dun 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 dun, where everyone's giving nervous glances at each other, and the swell of music before they cut to a commercial break. How much of this episode was just a '90s episode? <laughs> Everything felt very '90s, felt very dated, I and mean, very saccharine to me. Let's remember who directed this episode. <laughs> this is a very two take two take breaks. And so here's the thing: I you, have loved lots of episodes that Jonathan Frakes has directed. I will say. There was a couple of scenes where I was like, I would have asked for one more take, <laughs> like personally. <laughs> um, and and a lot of them are some of the scenes you pointed out, um, Grant. Like I I will say up front though, the line that cake is eternal will forever be my favorite line of dialogue. It cannot That's be taken line. away. Cake. That, that was a great line. Cake is eternal. Um, Heavy-handed ones as well as Mike was pointing out though. <laughs> Right. Like the dandelion metaphor. I was like, but Tilly, you've only been a separated from Burnham for like 48 hours. Right. Whereas Burnham has been gone for a year from seeing anybody. So to me, her like Burnham's emotional, like, oh, this all feels familiar, but it, it doesn't work in this universe. Like uh, internal conflict works for me. But um, and Tilly's emotional conflict of like, I thought it was really smart to have her do that. like did they go to breakfast? What happened to my family? Like, these are all like that to me felt very like natural, that line of questioning. And she's finally like, Oh, Burnham's here. I have someone who I know can kind of relate to me emotionally. Like we are friends on that level. Mm -hmm. um, so that conversation felt right to me. But that thing about the dandelion, I was like, but she hasn't been gone from you for that long. Or I just felt like it needed a little tweaking for me to understand where they were trying to go with that. Um, but I don't know, like some of the, the like before commercial break, like dun duns, I think are, I think they just happen in TV now. <laughs> like it's just what yeah. we've become used to. Like I, I don't, yeah. I don't usually notice those as much, and I don't think they happen as often. But that's as the thing. Interact. Was it because Burnham made like a weird glance at Saru when I was like, I think that's like the one that's gone one too far. Like bring it back a little bit, where it's yeah. more of like the knowing. Like it, it felt, I can't act, so don't have me make the facial oh, expression. Oh, he was being knighted as captain and she's like well staring at it with joy that one was fine it was more the like when essentially it was her like i told you so this universe isn't what you think it is and we're gonna have to be kind of tough you know and a little little dangerous to make it through I, you um, know i like the idea of that i like the idea that you know the the hanging the hanging threat that saru disco michael may have to compromise their morals a bit in order to survive and to um, to realize what they're trying to do in this new time frame, which is bring back the Federation, bring back the ideals of the Federation. How does that work in a time when those ideals are shot to hell and you can't contact the people who are still upholding those ideals in the universe? How do you do that? Um, are we going to have to get our hands dirty? Right. That's interesting. Um, but sure, I do, I do tell, right. Yeah, I, I do feel that even though I did like this episode, 
um, Discovery has a lot of ambitious themes, as always. Whether or not it um, executes on those themes or or achieves those themes, it's it's hit and miss. It's pretty hit and miss. But I think it that's not bugging me as much this year. Like I like I said, I don't know why. Maybe I'm just liking the the fact that it's just leaning in to being a little cheesier, a little geekier, a little more 90s esque, because it feels that way. Like almost every story we got in this episode got wrapped up within the hour. It almost felt, even though we're definitely going to explore, and this set up a lot for us to explore further in the season, a lot of it felt self contained, um, which I appreciated. Um, but I know, you know, people who didn't watch Trek all their lives, like Grant and people who really value the, um, you know, non-episodic, more of a serial story. Um, you know, maybe they're not going to dig the fact that Disco is leaning more into maybe more self-contained stories and more not as serious a tone as it was in season one and season two. I'm kind of here for it. I still feel like the show is trying to find itself. Um, especially after the soft reboot of season three, episode one. And I think it'll, I think sometime during this season or the fourth season, we'll finally get a tone that'll really work all the way through a season. At least I'm hoping so. But right now I'm having fun watching the show develop still. And I'm, I'm liking the goofier tone. You know, I think, um, Mike, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't Kurtzman, didn't he write a couple novels or Star Trek novels or something like that? Um, maybe I'm not sure. Each season feels like it's its own book, right? Where I think when we look at previous Star Trek series, really all of them, they felt like they were one long continuous television show. And each year things would like you, we were used to seeing would just be upped a little bit, right? Set design was up. You'd have some new characters, but the pacing usually was typically the same. The themes were typically the same. Um, the The structure was typically the same. What we've gotten is, I, I look now, we're three episodes in, and three seasons, each season has been radically different. Mm-hmm. They've, they've really been their own, again, their own novel, their own journey. Um, and to be honest with you, if you had told me each season was show ran by a different showrunner, I'd go, yeah, I believe you because, because they've been so different. Um, and so I think season three is, I don't know, an, an attempt to bring a little uh, a bit of normalcy or familiarity in a world that has gone absolutely insane. Uh, so yeah. it, it's interesting to me. I'm, I'm enjoying it. it, except for Grant, to your point, there were a couple moments. And for me, I felt like pulling off Wynn's head had a very Scooby-Doo moment to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I would have gotten away with it. Had it not been for Titan's famine <laughs> or whatever. Or what's for this damn Kelpian. Yeah. <laughs> And the other the other moment again in that almost same scene is that in a blink we got book and and um and Burnham coming in having completed the mission. 
Right. And, while they're still like, don't fire, don't fire. Yeah. It, it was super quick. But my whole thought was in any other Star Trek like season, we would have seen that. Right. Th- that the scene where they go in and get the, even if it was just, you know, we, they put down their shields and we transported them over whatever it was. The most exciting action sequence. Right. Exactly. This is like no country for old men. What what happened to that part? That was the part I wanted to see. (laughs) Um, To your point, Clyde, it almost has been different showrunners every season because the first Mm -hmm. season was developed by Brian Fuller and Kurtzman together. Season two was just kind of Kurtzman solo. And then Michelle Paradise came in partway through. And then this is the one that is the Michelle Paradise, Alex Kurtzman baby. And so it's like, I think they had to take that original vision and just like, like the Titanic trying to avoid an iceberg, (laughs) slowly move it so that they can get to where they want to go as storytellers. You know, in your analogy, the Titanic does not miss the iceberg, right? I know, but this is the future, alternate (laughs) future. (laughs) Yeah, that that's at the heart of this show. It's always kind of been, even though the show got greenlit, it got developed. We're in season three. The show's kind of always been in development hell because Brian Fuller initially pitched the show as something like the new Fargo or American Horror Story, an anthology series where we get a, a different crew and a different time frame of Trek. Oh, really? Every season. Um, they said, no, what's one of your ideas for a season? We're going to do that for the whole series. So he, you know, they changed it to what we have now. Hmm. And then shakeups happened. He got fired. Kurtzman took over. Um, and then Brian Fuller's, um, some writers Brian Fuller hired, show ran the first season. Problems with them. They got fired. Kurtzman took over again. And then now we have Michelle Paradise. With a soft reboot in season three, since we're now in a different time frame. So the show has always been like trying to find itself um, with a lot of shakeups behind the scenes. And I, that definitely does. You can feel that um, every time a new season comes in premieres. And there's some comments going on in our mm-hmm. live chat. Uh, people are talking about how this episode felt drastically different from the first two episodes of season three, which I, I think it did. You know, um, yeah, uh, it is our our first director shift. So the first mm-hmm. two episodes were from um, Olatunde, who uh, is also on the writing staff and is a producer. And so I think it's you know someone who's been in it for so long, and then you're giving this to someone with sort of fresh sea legs, if you will. If we're going to continue on my bad Titanic metaphors, um, <laughs> keep, it running. keep it going. We're just gonna the whole time. Um, but I, the world. I did think there were some smart. Uh, references back to the first season, especially um, uh, specifically the first episode where we see mirror verse Giorgio trying to tell Saru to fire and Saru's like uh, Starfleet does not fire first, which Mm -hmm. is what (laughs) regular universe Giorgio says to Burnham. And so uh, it's really interesting to see this sort of re another like reboot of our, our, um, officers on the bridge and sort of how that's going to play out for them. And I, I'm really looking forward to the uh, ongoing, I think conflict that's going to happen between Saru, Giorgio. And then I think Burnham plays this nice middle point at, at this period in time, because she's the one who has spent the most amount of time in this particular universe. And Saru is still a little green to it. And then Giorgio comes from the even more violent, more, 
intense space. And so I think there's going to be some fun tension to to be played with there between those three characters. Yeah, it feels like they definitely mapped out the um, that that character trio, right, of Saru on the left as the Starfleet idealist, Giorgio, the complete opposite on the right. In the middle, you have Burnham being potentially pulled, right. potentially pulled both ways. Where is she going to go or is she going to embody something different and better? Um, that's interesting. That's cool. Especially since Giorgio uh, clashing with Saru is always really fun to watch, as we saw last it was It was great to see Saru be like, you know what? I think communication has proved to be a very effective uh, means of de-escalation when, um, when the people of earth are like, no, don't talk to when that's, that's going to be a problem. He's like, no, no, no. The rule book in Starfleet says we should totally try and communicate. Um, and that that's to the point of, uh, the, the same thing as Starfleet doesn't fire first. So I, I like seeing that. I just feel this episode had a lot of interesting points to make and was, problematic and how heavy how insecure they were in the intelligence of the audience that they felt they had to underline and then add exclamation points like you we could have gotten the sense of there being distance between burnham and tilly in the very beginning and know that something has changed in her in a year's time that isn't conflicting with the one day that's passed right for tilly or we we could have um explored this idea of um, communication being more effective without being like, look, in the end, all you had to do was talk to each other and rainbows. Um, <laughs> like they, they straight out just kind of say those lines of dialogue instead of showing that there's a little bit of underlying tension. In fact, I thought one of the more interesting scenes was, I think it was that, that dude, Gene, shut the fuck up, Gene or whatever. Um, who walks out of the elevator past Burnham and says, oh, hi, Commander. And that like establishes, okay, there's going to be a potential problem with a power play between her and Saru of not knowing who is the ultimate uh, authority on the ship. And what could have been a more interesting plot point, in a way, I felt was a little bit undercut as well, when she gives it to him rather than them having a discussion. Like, don't you guys feel like that was a little unfair to Saru to be like, oh, I have the ultimate authority on this ship and I bestow upon you commandership rather than be like, I don't need you to give it to me. I've already taken it. It's mine. Thanks. I didn't see yeah. it as that. I felt I like um, she was directly communicating to the fact that Saru would want to talk this out and they would want to logically figure out who the best person is going forward. But I think the the large, it was unexpected for sure, which I liked. And I think the larger point that was trying to make was Burnham doesn't know if she belongs back on Disco. So she's not going to be the captain. She's not going to step up. And I think that unsureness of who she is now is going to pay off this season down the line, even though some of it did feel forced. And I think some of it felt forced because she's supposed to be separated from the crew for a year, but we don't feel it as viewers. Yeah. And yeah. they were really trying to truncate that if they're mm -hmm. trying to slide her in as number one near the end of the episode. Right. I want to talk about Earth. Um, we learned right. Earth. It's a planet. We live on it currently. Third rock from the sun. That, that mm -hmm. Earth. That's the one. John. Um, we learned Earth is no longer part of the Federation. Shocker. Um, 
Mariah, you brought that up in your hot freak. It's 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 a pretty cool, unexpected development. Earth is run by a military unit now, the United Earth Defense Force, I think is what they call it. And they do not trust outsiders, and they are kind of edging on being xenophobic, which obviously felt like a regression in the culture. Uh Kind of felt like what we're experiencing in the U.S. today, at least with the political party currently in charge. What did you all think of that development of how Earth was portrayed here? Yeah, I mean, I think the writers, like all Star Trek, is seeking to to put some commentary on current events out into the world. And um, I caught a little bit of the um, Ready Room interview with uh, with Bo and and Erica, the the two women who wrote this episode, and you know, they were talking about, you know, they were like when this, I'm trying to backtrack when this episode was written was probably at the height of like the U S enforcing like the Muslim ban. Right. And so we're, we're seeing all of these extreme, um, political tactics being used to keep quote unquote, you know, outsiders out of a particular place. And so I think for them, the, you know, it would be weird to have country wide. Yeah. Make earth great again. Blah. Um, <laughs> thanks for that comment. But um, you know, it, we wouldn't have country based government anymore. Right. Cause we have interplanetary travel, but you know, the concept that earth would become so insular, I think is a logical step to use as the, their particular metaphor. And the idea that it's a little bit more militaristic in the way that it functions also feels correct um because i think people move to ignorance and violence and anger when they're afraid and so when there's this big fear this big bad of the dilithium exploding who could have caused it the federation our our protectors are now gone and they can't do what they normally do for us anymore um that people would turn to fear and that's what we see happen um in this particular episode and it's what we see happening now and so i think I, I liked the commentary on it. I do think it was heavy handed with the, we just need to talk. <laughs> but again, it was, I think, I think if this was written at this point now in history, it might've been a little bit different than, than what we got. But I, I think for what they, what they were trying to commentate on would be, I enjoyed it anyway. Lessons, magical rainbows, the more, you know, all of the things, LeVar Burton, open up a book, look it inside. It definitely felt like realistic and believable as a, a trajectory that the earth might go on, especially with um, a bunch of resources being uh, depleted and then not necessarily having that strength. So you, yeah, you become isolationist. You, you pull in and you defend what you can and you become more and more afraid of exploring and going outside. So very apt, um, uh, metaphor for current events. And I thought how that was handled was done pretty well with the exception of what I've already, you know, whined about. <laughs> Clyde, did you expect us to see earth um, like it was depicted in, in this episode? I'm not sure what I expected. Um, it, you know, this is the first earth where Starfleet Academy in San Francisco has, hasn't been this Mecca that everyone makes this pilgrimage to at some point. And 
what we got was we still got kind of the young, you know, officers doing that pilgrim to, you know, and sitting inside the tree and, you know, sitting out, you know, in front of the tree. So, so we still got a little bit that, but Star Trek has this long history of going back to Starfleet Academy and seeing professors and walking and and doing all this other stuff. Um, And this was different. And so it, it was saying with everything else that we've seen, I expected some different. I didn't know exactly how different. I think the isolationist makes sense to Mariah's point. People do people do interesting things when they're afraid. Um, and so rather, th- this is a completely different turn of Earth, where you think about Earth as explorers and going out um, from this central base. I think a lot like the U.S., where Earth has felt like it is so far from the other warring factions that that gives us some sense of safety, right? Because when you think about it, the only race that has ever really tried to attack Earth has been the Borg, right? It just seems like Earth is so far away. And the Dominion. And the Dominion. But Earth has been so far away that it has not been worth it. Uh, Khan, I believe, took a pretty big swipe, whatever. The whale boat. was. <laughs> okay. Major. We're gonna ro- roll out a bunch of them. It's all of them. To <laughs> say, my point is the same. This is gonna be another um, another is, instant clip. Is that this? This feels like, for the first time, Earth felt like they were being constantly attacked, and rather than be having this freedom to go out and fight people on their turf. they had to pull back and and protect themselves so i thought it was an interesting take i I thought it was kind of fascinating you know i was interested in the shield technology i thought that was kind of cool you know also the turn of events at the end of this episode where was where was was when from titan Mm -hmm. that okay the moon not the the moon the moon yeah the moon titan um the move toward uh you know reigniting that relationship between earth and titan I think will be a, a fascinating step in them moving back out to uh, having more curiosity and exploring regions rather than um, just protecting themselves, especially as that was their, their biggest aggressor, right? When was the one who was attacking them? And if they're now allies, they're kind of retaking the solar system. And from there they can kind of expand outward and maybe be once again, a home base for Starfleet. Yeah, I, who do y'all think is like the Starfleet people at this point? Is that like the Vulcans still carrying the torch? Do we think in some crazy twist of events, which would be kind of fun, like the Romulans are in the Federation now? Klingons. You know, the Klingons could be in charge. That the could Borg. be really interesting. <laughs> I don't think it'll be the Borg because I saw so no cybernetics. <laughs> so I, I hope it's a combination of a new species we haven't seen on Trek and a classic species like the Vulcans or Romulans. That would be interesting. Yeah. So I say Klingon. I I say Klingon because I'm wondering if the seeds that discovery planted with um, Laurel, will that bear fruit in the future? It did, baby. We got Worf. (laughs) Laurel begat Worf. 
Mm-hmm. And Torres. And I mean, Torres. Do you guys think though that Starfleet still does exist to some really li- limited capacity? I mean, I know there's like these little sat- satellite episodes. There's a person on Earth who's a whose memory has been downloaded into a trill who's now in the body of a 16 year old, whatever. Um, uh, I don't understand what the trill thing is, but we've explained it to you like twice, but we'll okay. do it again. Okay. Um, but I, I see like these little like pockets of like individuals that are kind of re- like carrying on the memory, but they're actually being an operating organization. I think the most we saw was there was a mention that there was two ships that like had been lost out in space somewhere mm-hmm. and who knows where they're at or even if they're around anymore. So it might be that discovery is the beginning of, you know, it's starting and everything has to form from them rather than them finding someone else who's going to help carry, carry this for them. I mean, I, in fact, yeah. I would think that'd be more interesting than them finding yeah. Vulcans being like, Oh, we'll work for you rather than yeah. we have the ideals. We know what this should be. And we now can just start recruiting people and, and making more ships. And, you know, I agree. I think, I agree. I think like a lot of Trek fans, I've often wanted to see depicted the creation of the Federation. How do we get from where we are now to where they are? And I think with this new season, we're, we're set up pretty well for that kind of story. Um, we're talking about Earth. We're talking about um, the what is it, the Earth MAGA force, whatever they're called. Um, let's talk about Adira because she was part of this military force. And she was a bright spot in it. Um, she only joined because she was waiting for a Starfleet ship to come. And she wanted to leave with a Starfleet ship. And it finally happened for her. So um, Adira is played by Blue Del Barrio, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, a non-binary actor. And according to the disco team uh, that some of us have read about, Adira identifies as non-binary and trans. Um, but refreshingly, that wasn't specified in this episode, like her uh, or their introductory episode. And I think they did use she, her pronouns for Adira in this. But yeah. Adira was just allowed to be and exist and take part in the episode without the character's gender coming into play at the forefront. I thought that was really great. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, Blue is is very young in general is playing a 16 year old but they are also i think like uh just graduated from uh from acting school so is maybe 21 22 years old so one of our youngest cast members for sure um and they said in an interview um i thought this quote you know mike you you grabbed this but i agree that this is a great insight into this particular character and what we're going to see this series um Blue said, it was really important to me that I care a lot about an accurate representation for Adira um, and trans representation, especially because I wasn't yet fully out to a lot of my family and some of my friends still. And I didn't feel comfortable right off the bat having everyone use they them pronouns for Adira because I also wasn't out to everyone. So I wanted to wait until I really was and until I was in a place where I could talk to my family and my friends and tell them who I was. And at that point, I could then feel that this is now an accurate way for me to represent Adira on screen as well, because I would be there too. I didn't want to rush it. I didn't want to put pressure on myself. I just wanted it to be as honest as possible because there are so few trans characters on screen and I wanted to make this character 
as transparent to my own experience as possible uh, because we don't see a lot of trans characters on screen who are questioning, um, who may not be completely out talking to everyone about how they're feeling about themselves. And so, you know, me personally, I think that's, I mean, so mature and so powerful for this actor to have the wherewithal to essentially, and cheers to the discovery creative team who are willing to go on this journey with them Mm -hmm. and essentially be like, Oh, as you are, changing and and transitioning will also build that into your character and it makes sense because they're actually human not trill but have been selected as a host by a trill symbiote and so um this is going to be a really interesting portrayal i'm really excited to sort of see that play out on screen and i know um blue has said that both wilson cruz and anthony rapp um and ian alexander we're like incredible people to be around while going through this process on screen. Yeah. They were and, fantastic on screen. Mm-hmm. I, I, was, I was definitely confused by, um, because, you know, hearing the reports in advance, I thought that right up front, they were going to be presented as, as a non non-binary character. So having Stamets and Tilly say she and her like repeatedly, and then later, I think there's other references that some mm-hmm. of the other characters said, I was like, did I confuse that the character was going to be non-binary like for the show? But I guess if there's going to be that, that transition period, I think that'll be interesting to see how that's explored. Yeah. It's going to be a, a deeper, more nuanced exploration of a non-binary character. I hope that it's really um, underlined and made clear the distinction between um, identifying non-binary and the the elements going on with the uh, symbiosis with the trill mm-hmm. and other multiple personalities, I guess, mm-hmm. because yeah. there's something, there's an element of that that seems like it could be problematic. Yeah. That's come up in Star Trek before in, uh, in DS nine with uh, the character of Jadzia Dax, who was a trill who, had a symbiote and the symbiote had been inside male host before. And whenever there was a queer story with Jadzia here and there, it was always coded You know, it was always a little mm. questionable because um, yeah. you, know, you don't want that undercut mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because yeah. it's very important. And I feel like the way that I have heard Blue as well as the rest of sort of like, I I like to think of them as my LGBTQIA plus Avengers on this show. You know, they're so wonderful being about all all of the panels and doing all of the things. Um, And I feel like they've all seemed pretty happy with the way things moved through this particular show. Um, And and, and so that gives me hope that the creators were smart enough to talk to Blue about their own life experiences and what is going on for them in that particular moment that they would hopefully be able to wrap that into the show as well. It's ambitious and it feels like they're, you know, with everything that we're reading about this character and the actor and what we saw today on the show, um, it, it feels like they're going to treat it with sensitivity and respect at least. So that's mm-hmm. good. Good. Yeah, I, I I think one of the things that's interesting to to look at is, I think even without knowing a lot of the backstory, the sentiment is we were really excited for them to be on the show, 
and, mm-hmm. and, and they are bringing a lot to it. Mm-hmm. And I think the nuance is going to make that even more deeper and richer to understand what, what, what's being done. Um, and so I'm, I just think that I, between Adira and book, these are two really strong additions to the show. I had mentioned one of my complaints was uh, the dialogue between Stamets and Adira. I really liked that moment. But well, what yeah, I wanted to fun. point out, like I thought like the dialogue and the music behind it, I think the music just did no favors and that music was bad. Yeah. I'm going to blame editing. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But I think that the dynamic between uh, uh, Anthony Rapp and blue was immediately apparent. And there's this, this warm and parental vibe Mm -hmm. that that Stamets was giving to Adira, which um is kind of uncharacteristic to the character given his uh, cantankerousness oftentimes that I, I don't know. I, I really did appreciate that element. And I thought, you know, being upfront, being very open and honest and, and forthright about what's going on with discovery that they're time travelers. That's, that's information they, they're generally, generally really protective of, but, uh, but Stamets didn't hold back was very straightforward. Like this is where we're coming from. And showed this degree of of concern and compassion and respect when that situation could have borne out in a very different manner of you just put a device on our ship that made us susceptible, threatened the threatened Earth, could have gotten a bunch of people killed. We got fired on our ship because of that. Like that wasn't the approach. And I thought that was much better handled than the Scooby-Doo moment of ripping off the the head and saying, now you guys communicate. Yeah. I thought the moment between Adira and Stamets felt very much like Stamets can see himself in them, you know, like Hmm. essentially Stamets is like, I have been this wonder kid before and I can see how intelligent you are and that maybe you also are a part of my rainbow family. So like, come on in, you know, that kind of, um, (laughs) there's like a dumb TikTok that went around a long time ago where it's just two people looking at each other and each other's outfits and just being like, are you? And they're like, but are you? And they're like, are you gay? And it's like, yes, bitch, of course I'm gay. Like, (laughs) and so it's like this little like moment where I felt like he, it was like taking you under the wing and then we find this big plot like Adir is going to play a big portion in this plot moving forward if this is yeah. like the last known person who sort of maybe possibly knows where Starfleet is so I'm excited for that well I think the other thing that's interesting is that we saw a little bit of this um, I don't want maybe it was a little jealousy with Tilly like wait I'm supposed <laughs> to be the Wonderkin yeah. but I think that's that's exciting because it says okay well Tilly, for two seasons, you've been the young, rookie, really smart, trying to figure your way out, find yourself. And maybe now what we're going to see is Tilly really coming into her own. We talked about that a little last week, right? But Tilly really being able to stand up and be, you know, competent and confident and all these other things. And maybe her storylines are going to evolve other than just being the the young rookie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I my spouse is 
an educator and she deals with teenagers a lot. And she always, she says the best way to um, really connect with a teenager is to do it with honesty, as much honesty as you can have with someone who's much younger than you and with respect and humor. And that's the way that Stamets dealt with Adira in this episode. And it really, it rang true to me. I really like seeing that play out. Um, Chris Rogers, we're, let's jump into some of these live stream comments. Um, Chris Rogers says, Pod, I've talked about this elsewhere, but that the first non-binary character in Trek is a trill is wonderful in my opinion. The trill are already queer coded and I want so much more for Adira to bring an acknowledgement to that rather than bringing the trill to queerness the way DS9 did. Yeah, we've come a long way. I'm excited to see what what happens with with Adira. Yeah, big time. Um, do you guys see any other comments you want to bring up? Well, I, I definitely wanted to talk a little bit more about oh. Book and Burnham. Yeah, because I feel like that's an area always we didn't get to address fully. And burn those books, baby. First question <laughs> I have to you guys is: He seems very defensive toward Giorgio about whether or not they hooked up, and like says, like, no, we actually haven't. And it seemed very genuine and honest. Do you yeah, guys- that yet was implied? <laughs> yes, we have. I'm not talking about. It. Listen, if you it's have it and you're not year. going to, then you just go. No, we haven't. It's but been he was a like, year, though, I, and that's why he's, he's like, like I'm trying. Mm. I'm trying. But I don't think they've been like with each other every single day and night through the year. It sounds right. like they sort of were in passing with each other a lot mm. and and kind of you, working with each other when needed. Um, but yeah, it's. It's year 100% a long time. gonna a, happen. I got the idea that it was a one-sided relationship. And probably the opposite of you guys, that it's Burnham sweating him and he's pining for someone else. Hmm. Because yeah. the person he's pining for himself is Greg's cat, who's a queen. <laughs> I think that he has some sort of relationship with that alien cat that she can't break the barrier up, man. When she was putting that outfit on him and pinning the badge on him, she was just, Oh, she wanted to be zipping it the complete opposite way, (laughs) but he just seemed kind of oblivious. And he seemed like, no, we're not hooking up to George. to the point where I was like, he he's not on the same page as she is. She, she wants him. She doesn't know how to approach that because her last relationship was Ash. So, I mean, who wouldn't be a little slow on the uptick to figure out if you want to be in a relationship again after Ash Tyler? Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> yeah I get that as well. And after losing your friends and family and ship and time for mm-hmm. a year. Yeah. I think it's, there's also just that big question mark, right, for Burnham is can book fit into her life on mm-hmm. discovery? And I think for her, it's important to figure out what that dynamic looks like before she's ready to commit. Cause she already lost her half Klingon, not great boyfriend to section 31 last time. So, you know, I, I love book. Um, David Ajala just has this infectious casualness to him. That's really genuine. Of course, oh, him and, him and Burnham. Tell like, me about the spinning part. 
Oh yeah. Line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He really like grounds everything when right. all this craziness has happened. Yeah. Like, but what, what do you guys want from book? Like how and where does he fit into this show? Like we saw him leave in this episode. He's a cast member. He's, he's coming back, but oh, how, yeah. how do you think he fits into everything? I like him being this, this outside kind of ranger who will pop in here or there initially before maybe he becomes folded into what Starfleet is once it expands, if that's the direction they go. I mean, that's kind of our hope, or at least my hope is that they'll, they'll be like, yeah, we're going to rebuild Starfleet and he'll realize that there is a place for him and the good he can do with his own personal mission of protecting other creatures that is applicable to the ideals of Starfleet. Clyde, I, it sounds like Grant's talking about um, Teal'c or Ronan Dex from Stargate. Is that what we're getting here? Come on. I don't know what that is. Not, not Teal'c, right? Because yeah. Teal'c was a full-fledged member of the crew. And Ronan really was pretty quickly. That's and what I, I mean, like an outsider coming in and then... Yeah, I, I like him as an outsider who kind of retain some of his independence but is a co- is a frequent collaborator and partner i don't know that i want to see him in that uniform again right a- at least not yet i think there's some power for him being outside i'm not gonna say i'm not gonna do that outside of starfleet it did feel a little bit awkward right him being in that uniform didn't feel like the swagger of his character. Because right. we all just want to see him with no clothes on. We see, can all I agree. was trying not to go there, but I knew Mariah would. So. You're welcome. Uh, he, he looked good in the uniform, but he definitely looks better in his, like, what are they called? Yeah, not smugglers. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. In that outfit, yeah. <laughs> I think he could be an interesting... Um, you know, perhaps he does get eventually folded into something a part a part of Starfleet. I don't think he's going to be like a crew member on a starship, but he already has all of this experience working on rescuing, mm-hmm. you know, these endangered species. And so perhaps he is then someone who sort of becomes like uh, a team member on uh, that's working on something like that, right? Uh, yeah. P.W. Gregory says. Book and Burnham, yeah, 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 we get it. But what about Giorgio and Linus, though? <laughs> we didn't see a follow-through with that this episode. Did oh, it happen? Did it happen? What's going on with no. Giorgio and Linus? Hey, Mike, uh, Sardonyx asked, do you think Detmer's PTSD is going to be an ongoing storyline? That's the thing with Detmer. In this episode, she um, she pushes back on Saru's orders like twice and it felt like she was afraid. So is it PTSD? Is it control? We don't know. What, what's up with Detmer? Yeah, it feels more like a mental thing because she was like, we just recovered. Maybe she's she's like the one point of logic where it's like, we're literally destroying the ship again, mm-hmm. again, you know? Um, but I but, think yeah. I think it's going to be something possibly more wielded to PTSD or perhaps she's finally maybe she's going to realize she's not really in for the long haul of what this is and perhaps needs to find another thing to do in this new universe. I don't know. Uh, I would like to point out to y'all after our discussion of how fast hair can grow, (laughs) that they specifically show a montage sequence of her hair growing out 
Michael Burnham's hair growing out that fast over the course of the year, year and a half, whatever. Again, so. the last. Okay. I get that it makes a jump. Here's, here's the one. I, I would like us to not talk about this because Thank we you. do not have any black women on this show. And I think black women's hair has been overly politicized in media for decades. And I know I have seen things on Twitter about how much it means specifically to black women to see yes. a woman in this particular hairstyle. And I think we can just leave it at that. And I think they just wanted her to be able to pers- to show that she is a proud black woman who is leading this fucking show yes Word. and look i i am i am married to a black woman i have like i have a, have a i have a daughter who's also black we spend a lot of conversations in my household talking about hair um and i have been you know i'll say marginally educated on on the discussion for a while and so that hairstyle on this show for a lead is a big deal. And not only that, I think what we see in Burnham and even in the montage is is a is actually it, it's natural hair. And the fact that it was curly and the fact that it was braided is something that you just don't see on television. Usually when you see black women's hair on television, it's almost always straightened. And so what we see in this is it's wonderful. And we don't have to get into the length and growth and and what happened. I think that's more nuanced. And I also looked and said, I think that there are another, there are enough people of color and black women on set that even if we don't understand it completely, I have to trust that they got it right. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to echo Tilly and say, it looks great. Yep. It does. Uh, Karen had a great comment here about the Kelpians and Saru. She said, mm-hmm. having the Kelpians be a new force in the Federation would be appropriate given Saru's role. He could be their hero for them, which would make an interesting storyline. We're definitely going to catch up with the Kelpians this season, right? I hope so. I don't know what quadrant they're in, and I guess only Discovery can really get there at this point. <laughs> Clyde, I, I know you've been itching to, to see the Kelpians again, right? No. <laughs> I mean they're Aww. fine. No, look, the Kelpians are fine. Um if they can if they got more people who can do the shooting the darts from their head thing, I mean that's cool. Um I I, I kind of don't want to go backwards. I mean, I'm curious to see what they look like and kind of where they've evolved today. But at some point, I want to see some new some new aliens. Yeah. That would be fun. Uh, and I think the last comment I want to bring up uh, that I think we can all appreciate. CJ Higgins says she wants to see a book without a jacket, please. Don't we all? Don't One more we time. all? One more you know, time. I, can, I can take off my jacket if you guys want. No. See, you could just uh, be book for Halloween. You just got to go uh, shirtless. <laughs> there you go. Let's all be booked for Halloween. Grant, take up your shirt. You just uh, draw the abs on with a with like a contour stick. I'm working on my abs. I'm working on them. I'm getting there. I have a magic marker over there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting my crunches in. I'm working on my abs. All right. Anything else to say about this episode of Discovery? Um, I was just going to comment really quickly on the, um, you know, coming up next episode, if, if y'all don't mind, it looks like we're going to see some Burnham kicking ass, which I'm excited about. And we also are visiting what looks like the Trill home planet. So that I think that will be really fun and exciting. 
Yeah, it looked like Burnham was being dipped into the the trill pool. I don't remember the name for it, but that's basically where all the uh, or the symbiote pool, where all the symbiotes exist, and you can commune with them. So I don't ever think we've seen a human do that. I know Riker in one episode of TNG hosted a trill himself. Oh yes, so, he did. Yeah, so Adira right. is not the first to do that in Trek canon, but I think he only did it for a very short amount of time, and it was not good. So, oh, I, I think you, you, I think you're using host differently than I was using host because you know, Riker hosted many a trill. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, is that what you meant? That was saying. All right, I think uh, that um, one of my last thoughts is that Burnham taking over the number one spot at the end seemed like a sort of a misstep for everything else that they, they had set up in the episode yeah. of her being distant, pulling away, learning how to survive without them and operating with a certain degree of freedom and autonomy that was unrelated to them for her to step back in and be like, yeah, I'll take that. Just kind of felt like, well, why, why were you guys doing that? Except for that maybe she'll be a little bit more l- loose and less by the book, I guess. Yeah, it, or it, more it, by the book. I'm sorry, I had to do it. <laughs> and more loose. <laughs> it it did feel like the show is trying to get back on course or set everything back to normal, kind of like a sitcom at the end of a sitcom. You know, like oh, Burnham's back in place, which you don't really want. Um, but I still think that her apparent disconnection from the ship for a year is going to be an issue coming up. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. Join us every Thursday at 9 p.m. for Star Trek Discovery Pod Live. And we will be back next Thursday talking about Season 3, Episode 4. I'm just realizing I didn't write an outro for this, but that's fine. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Uh, guys, do you do the things that you do in the outro. Uh, Yes, make sure you have subscribed. We appreciate y'all live chatting with us here on YouTube, but please make sure you hit that subscribe button, hit the little notification bell if you're on YouTube so that you always get a notification when we're going live. And if you want to listen to the pod, go to StarTrekPod.co. And there's more that you can get from us if you join us at Patreon.com slash StarTrekPod. Go there, make a per episode pledge, and you can join us in our Slack channel where we can chat about all things Trek all throughout the week, share our theories and speculations and just general chat about Trek things, do watch alongs and hear bonus exclusive content. We'd love to have you over there. Patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. If you tweet, tweet about us, let people know if you're on the gram on IG, let people know about us and make sure that if you see them around, Give a shout out to Karen, who runs our Twitter, and James Worm, who runs our Insta. Thank you, James. Thank you, Karen. Yeah, and if you guys dress up as cool Star Trek characters for Halloween, drop it in the Slack. We'd love to see your interpretation. Also, let us know whose costume you enjoyed the most tonight. Uh, I um, also wanted to just remind everyone to please, please vote. If you haven't mailed in your ballot yet, it is too late. You need to drop it off at a polling location or look up where you can drop it off at a Dropbox that is reliable and safe. If not, there's a few more days of early voting in some states or we will see you at the polls on the third. Please yeah. vote. It's important. It's, it's critical. Federation happen. Vote. 
Vote all yes. the way down the ballot. Read all the way down. There's important things. Yes. I have to vote for someone who decides how to manage the clean water in Austin, in my district. And it was the very bottom of the ballot. So vote for science and vote for logic. Yes. All right. It's, and... it's not too late to get informed, too. Check out vote411.org if you're still trying to figure out what the important issues are in your area. Right on. And we'll be back next Thursday. 9 p.m. Central, StarTrekPod.co. Uh, guys, where can we find you online, Mariah? I'm at Mariah Gossett on all platforms. That's Mariah with a Y and a Gossett with two S's and two T's. Clyde Haynes. You can find me at Clyde Haynes. Nailed it that time. Thank you, thank you. Uh, or you can find me at, uh, at keyandclyde.com. That's K-E-I-N Clyde.com on the web. Grant Davis. At Baron Von Grant. Uh, you can find me as Ship's Counselor on the Enterprise or at Mike <laughs> Moody Garcia on Twitter and Insta. Till next week, live long and prosper.